Yo, yo, this is Jason Goff from the Full Go Podcast. Me and the crew, we like to entertain you. And we're going to do more of that this football season because the Bears should be more intriguing. There should be more fascination. Justin Fields, is this the make or break year? Is DJ Moore the piece that's going to put them over the top? You can catch us on Sundays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays or when we have an emergency podcast when we have breaking news. Make sure you follow the Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is presented by Walmart Plus. Walmart Plus is the membership that helps you save on things you expect, plus the things you don't, like free delivery from your store with no markups, gas savings, and even a free Paramount Plus subscription. Start your free 30-day trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus essential plan only, separate registration required, $35 order minimum. See walmart.com slash plus for details. Nathan, we've got to start using Apple Cash. Uh, okay. Why? It's so easy and convenient. Apple Cash lives in messages where you and I text all the time. We do. All right. So I can pay you in the convos we're already having, like I do when I bribe you to say nice things about my favorite Taylor Swift songs. You'll never forget a payment or have the money just sitting somewhere collecting dust. You do owe me money from the last time we saw those Taylor and Travis picks, so that is nice. <laughs> and once I've done that, you can use that cash right away. You can buy stuff at a store with Apple Pay. So I don't have to do all the bank transfer stuff then? Nope. It's just right there. It's easy, convenient, and secure. Wait, did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? See how easy that was? Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Hello, and welcome to Every Single Album. I'm Nora Princiati, and I am here with Nathan Hubbard to talk about Olivia Rodrigo's guts. Nathan, say hello to the people. Hello to the people. I don't know if we, at some point on this episode, are going to talk about the 20-minute conversation we just had before we went live. Nope. Nope, it's not coming up. We're talking about Olivia Rodrigo today and Olivia Rodrigo only. With Olivia Rodrigo. So I just want everyone to know, you and I have not said word one to one another about this album, Guts. Not a single word. Not one single word. And it has been very hard for me to restrain myself. But also I had to restrain myself because I couldn't tell you anything that I think about this album without telling you everything I think about this album, which is that I think it's incredible. (laughs) And I'm so (laughs) proud of her. And I'm like completely blown away by this thing. Well, I sort of spilled my own guts on Twitter because of that reason. Like Uh I, I couldn't kind of contain it. I was, I preserved a part of my Saturday to listen to it. I I was busy on Friday and I was like, okay, I'm just going to set aside time. And I was driving Mulholland in LA by myself with the album on. And I I was like, there were moments on this album where I screamed, holy fucking shit. Like I, 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 it surprised me. It delighted me. We're going to talk about it, but this is as much for the quality under the pressure and accomplishment as it is on a standalone basis. I mean, we knew we were going to talk about this album, right? We spent all summer talking about Taylor and there was always this mark on the calendar of like, okay, Olivia's second record is coming out in September. Can't wait to hear it. And there's some nerves that go along with that, right? Like a sophomore record is is a dangerous thing. 
And given how just meteoric driver's license was in particular, but then how good Sour was and, and, you know, she wins three Grammys. She just shoots onto the scene. Yeah. It's a scary place to be, it, even I think fair, for for us, just for people who like for fans of hers, for people who just want yeah. good music to listen oh God, to. I there's this feeling this. of like, yeah, right? Can, can she this. do it again? Yeah. Has she set ridiculous expectations for herself, and is she going to be able to live up to those things? Right. It's uh, like Joe Burrow signing that contract and laying an egg on Sunday. But it's not okay, and it's Fine. so satisfying when something with this much hype becomes and I swear I'm not just like leaning into the hyperbole of this this was everything I wanted it to be and I think more mm-hmm. there's a lot of this that is surprising I think these songs are really impressively crafted they sound like they took time they sound like they took thought they sound like they were just the product of a really, really, really fruitful creative partnership and creative experience. I'm so excited to talk about them, but like, I just don't want to, I don't want to, you know, be coy about it. I think this album is fucking great. And that is a really fun thing for what it means for Olivia, just having her, her second record be so good and so strong. But I think also for the, the musical moment that we're in now, where it just seems so hard for people to break through. Well, it is. And it, it is so hard for people to break through. Right. And if you're not she is Taylor the last Swift artist. or Beyonce. Yeah. She is the last artist to break globally. Her last album is the last time an artist really broke globally worldwide. You might say Bad Bunny, but Bad Bunny's not selling tickets in a lot of markets that you think he might be able to do it. I'm not sure how big his, his ticket sales are going to be in London or in Paris or in Germany, right? So Which this is, is a super hard thing to do. And, and I think when you make comparisons, I don't think the statistics are particularly helpful when you make these comparisons because you know album sales from 25 years ago, so different than what it's like to be a big artist in the streaming era. But this first album, I mean, there is an enormous... Like there is Alanis Morissette post-jagged little pill type pressure on an artist to come back with that. And I know that Alanis had all the number one hits and there was mass and it was, but in terms of this music industry, this moment in time, this global culture, Olivia Rodrigo was a breakthrough artist with huge expectations and going into the studio to do that at 19 damn years old. And what's beautiful about this record in a lot of ways is she just told the truth. Right. About what that process felt like and about sort of everything that went into making this. Um, and, and she spoke what it felt like. She didn't tell us really till the end about that pressure, but she does tell us. I want to hear a little more from you as we go through these songs and go through the categories about the expectations and about how we should track the success of this record, because I, 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 I'm really curious to see how this does. And right. This is one of the albums where we're not analyzing it with the benefit of, of hindsight. All we can do here is predict since it's just a few days old. Yeah. I I'm 
going to wonder how it's going to stack up to sour just in terms of the sheer stats of it all. Because the first two singles so far, you know, and, and again, this is all so fresh, but Driver's License spent eight weeks at number one, right? Yeah. Like Sour was the most streamed album of 2021. Good for you. Didn't have the peak life, didn't get to the same peak position as Driver's License for that long. But it charted for 51 weeks. That was the real riser. And I think actually it's her most streamed song. Now, I think it has surpassed Driver's License. Those are huge, 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 huge numbers. And so far, I don't think it looks like Vampire or Bad Idea right. are on that type of of trajectory. They're definitely, I don't want to spoil, I think should be some real risers and songs with crazy staying power because they're just so good from this record. I just think it's going to be a litmus test for the moment of our ability to distribute content. Yeah. Because for as good as I think this record is, I'm a little wary to see like how big it actually gets. Whether or not that happens, I think is going to speak to how good are we at putting the stuff that's really good out there and having it be received. Yeah. If this doesn't truly hit, all that says to me is that we are still in this kind of broken moment of content distribution. And even for something this good, for someone who has hit a home run with that amount of pressure on her, like, yeah. I don't want to concern troll, but I just don't want the stakes to be it has to stream as much or sell as much because I'm I'm not sure it it will. No, but remember when we draw the pie chart of an artist's revenue, 10 to 15% of it is income from recorded music at this point because they just don't make that many pennies from what streams on Spotify and Apple and Amazon. The bulk of what comes for these artists today is touring. And there is an ever-growing piece of the pie that is stuff beyond touring. And as we'll talk about today, Olivia is one of the next generation of artists. And I do mean next generation. She is 14 years younger than Taylor Swift. Everything about this album screams different generation for a different younger group of people not attempting to win 45-year-old mothers, but going after people who aspire to be 19, are 19, still remember 19 very closely in the rearview mirror and what it feels like to be that age. That's what this album is about. And for her, that growing piece of a pie is permission that she has to be more than just a musician. Multi-hyphenate creators are real. She is, as we all know, an actress. She is, as we all know, a musician. Those are the foundations of 
a growing brand. I think she is looking as much to Selena Gomez, who is managed by the same team of excellent people and who has a half billion dollar plus makeup brand in Rare and is also a musician and is also an actress as she is to say Taylor Swift. And I know we're going to talk a lot about Taylor Swift during this podcast, just because uh, how could we not? Uh, we need not, a Taylor jar, like a swear yeah, jar for yeah, whatever we bring up yeah, Taylor. We've exactly. just got to put a quarter in the jar. But but this is one of those next generation multi-hyphenate creators where I think she has shifted the core foundation of the brand from you know, filmed short, long form video to music. And we're going to see, I think indisputably, regardless of how this thing streams, she just put out enough bangers to make an arena show go. And the extent to which that is 70 to 80% of an artist's revenue. And I'm telling you, we're going to get a world tour on sale in the next couple of weeks, for sure. If not in the next couple of days. Uh, This, she now has the material and you know I still want to hear all I want. All I want is love that lasts. Is all I want too much to ask. But she now has the material to go fill up an arena and make it bounce. Oh God, we're all going to be in the queue again. You know what's funny? I want us to start. I want us to go through the categories, but you just made me think of this. Of course, this album is so much about being 19 and it is for people who either are in that literal headspace or can access it. But I mean, I'm 29 and it really struck me listening to this album, how much like she's a pretty sophisticated 19. Hell yes, she the is. Jokes, the references. I, I was just like, this is one of my friends. Like she yeah. talks like one of my friends. She yes. sounds like I mean, she told Vogue she's really into doing the New York Times crossword. She had Gia Tolentino do her Vogue profile. Like, I'm just imagining her opening up her laptop and like checking what's on the cut. And that's not what I think of when I think of 19. It's a little, it's not wildly older than that, but it's a little bit older than that. It's fair, but she's been, she's been thrust into this position since she was a kid, right? I mean, she has been- time job since she was 14. Like she's not a normal 19 year old. She is not. She is a child star in a lot of ways, but she sounds on this album like the voice of a generation to me. And I I think, I I, I think she has, listen, I just think that it's that part of the strength of that is that that generation, I think she has two generations. I think she has Gen Z and I think she has a solid chunk of millennials who really vibe with her and really connect with her. Some of it is through the sort of like, goddamn Olivia Rodrigo, you would have loved 2004 of it all. But <laughs> right. a lot of it is just, she's smart and she's funny. And she seems, even though she has had a, a unique life to really have lived through and be living through a lot of like the normal girl trials and tribulations. Yes. And so this is me just expressing the fact that like, as I approach my third decade, I was reading all the reviews of like, Olivia Rodrigo was writing about what it means to be a 19 year old. And I was like, well, it's not just that. Okay? Yeah, fair enough. It's okay for you to relate to it. And it's okay for me to appreciate it as music and like appreciate the poetry of it. Because this is, while all of the stories are talking about this being a rock album, I'm telling you, this is much of like a spoken word and a rap album 
as anything else. She has this way of fitting more words into a bar of music than almost anyone else before her. Dude. She's she's got some of the cadence of Eminem. This is more of a like a rap album than a Taylor Swift album. Who is the flow coach, Olivia? It's, it's incredible. I pull up to your place in the second floor and you're standing smiling at the door. And I'm sure I've seen much hotter men, but I really can't remember when. It is. It's so good. It is. And and because of her child stardom and her baseline talent, vocally, she is something completely different on this album than almost any other 19-year-old. Whether she's rapping, whether it's spoken word, whether she's singing Broadway Live, whether she's whispering, all of the character of her instrument is on display here. And when you layer that on top of songs that as we'll talk about, it really feels like two people went in a room, closed the door, and just wrote. Most labels would have put a team of everybody, all of the 20 writers on the Beyonce record or the Kid Harpoon, they would have said, we need those people to come work with Olivia because we, we just, uh, let's just assume that somebody will have a good idea and we'll work it all out and make it go. But no, she blocked out the noise, went into a very small studio, the same place where they made Sour, locked the door and went to work. And I think it's that focus and the smallness of the, you know, again, constraints breed creativity. And so when you've got the constraint of how are we going to do this, but it is a team of people who know what success sounds like. It's not unlike Billie Eilish and her brother Phineas, who I think are the closest comparison going into their parents' bedroom. Like we saw in that documentary with the pressure of the next album and just fucking getting to work. This feels like a very similar process that has resulted something that, you know, is certainly on par in terms of its excellence. I fully, fully agree. That said, someday she's going to have a Max Martin moment and it's going to be electric. (laughs) I don't know. Not everybody needs Max Martin. Not everybody needs him, but he's there. He's there when she needs him. A flight away. He's just a flight away, but I'm so happy to see an artist, you know, without Max, without Jack. No, no, I, I like really, really, really fully could not agree more as it pertains to yeah. that. I'm just saying. I'm just, well, one of the cool things about doing it this way, right, is it leaves so many more buttons to to press. It exactly. leaves so many more possibilities unexplored and someday we'll get there. But right now we are talking just about this moment. Let's get started. Let's do biggest hit. I'm going to ask you what yours is first. Well, we're about to find out uh, because the answer should be get him back. I I thought I was going to be cool for having chosen this. No fucking way. I mean, this has cruel summer should have been the song of the summer vibes all over it. And I'm probably biased because I'm sitting here in LA and like it's been beautiful and warm lately after a summer of clouds. And there's just all kinds of like open top vehicles cruising down the PCH. This song is that. It is just the song that should have been of the summer. And I think they're going to regret not having put it out, if not in place of Vampire as the first single, certainly as the second single. 
It's fucking awesome. I think you probably will be proven right in that if there is a little bit left to be desired in terms of just the overall like size and and scale that this record achieves. That said, I feel like we are building to this sort of Olivia Rodrigo third single is really where it's at lineage because yeah. of what happened with Good For You. Yep. I mean, you brought up the flow. This is the flow on level 12. This song is so fucking funny and she's so sharp and I can't, yeah. I can't believe this song exists. I love it so much. When I told him how he hurt me, he told me I was tripping, but I am my father's daughter, so maybe I could fix him. Well, it has real Jane Says vibes. Jane Says Have you seen my wig around? And then maybe a little bit of Steal My Sunshine. The, the bridge, like if you just go to that bridge where they sort of drop out a bunch of the instrumentation, it sounds just a little bit like Band-Aids Don't Fix Bullet Holes part <laughs> of Bad Blood. Band-Aids don't fix bullet holes. You say sorry just for show. I want to break his heart. And they the one to stitch it up. Right? That counts. Sh- Put it in sh- the coin in the jar, 25 cents. You got it. And you wanted your Max Martin to, if you just strip out and listen to some of the guitar strumming, you might hear some We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together, right? We are never, ever, ever getting back together. We are never, ever, ever. We. Yeah. I mean, there's some group singing and all that. But. I mean, this is powerful. She just dropped the video for this song this afternoon, all shot on an iPhone exclusively. It's great. It's also an advertisement for the iPhone 15. Well, but which conversely means that the iPhone 15 is now advertising for Olivia Rodrigo. Well, that's right. And, you know, just to get to peak Olivia, (laughs) I don't want to jump ahead, but that's going to be me saying that here is an example of the next generation of creator who takes her music, her on-screen persona, combining it with a brand and making something even more powerful right as iPhone, you know, right as Apple is putting out the iPhone 15. But yeah, this is going to be the biggest song and I think I think you're very wise to point out it's the third one and it's the one that may hit the hardest. I, I, Vampire, let's make sure we don't overlook it because it deserves all the flowers it gets. I mean, when I first heard it, it was Broadway live. I was like, what in the hell is this? And the more I listened to it, the more I felt like, man, this is a song in multiple acts that is sort of written for the ADHD generation that can be consumed in snippets that has just, she is the fucking master of saying the word fuck. She is <laughs> the world global reigning champion. She has a title belt of best singer of the word fuck. There are rappers who say it better. Nobody sings the word fuck like Olivia Rodrigo. Fame fucker, bleeding me dry like a goddamn vampire. 
fame fucker was inspired. That was an inspired choice. If I were 19, I would be like plotting ways to write a college dissertation on that singular choice of word. It's so good. It is so much better than star fucker. I can't yes. like, how did that come out of her brain? I'm it's just, awesome. I'm like, I'm just, just hats off. I'm just very impressed with this woman. I think she's very cool. But in both of these songs, there's a kind of a common thread, isn't there? Which is that she is frequently a victim, but she's not a passive victim. She's never, never the cat in the tree. There's always a self-deprecation about it and almost like a, a, a scolding of herself for allowing herself to be used or disrespected or hurt. But in every moment, there is an immediate strike back. And it's the double entendre of get him back, but it's also like fame fucker. Like just that phrase in and of itself is a fucking dagger to whoever did that to her. Well, because it's like, it's like star fucker is at least like, that's about a person. Fame is just, that's not even, that's just a commodity, which I think is so biting. I, I like it's, it's gives me chills. It, it is I never want to be in a fight with Olivia Rodrigo. Hell no, you don't. And we'll talk a lot more about that through the course of this. Is there anything else from Biggest Hit that you think even has a chance? I mean, Bad Idea Right will have, like, has a lot of, I, I don't mean to it's reduce fun. it to this at all because I think it's great. And I mean, it's so funny. It has real TikTok applications. Yeah. And will have a very long and successful life, I think, because yeah. of that. I, I do think like it's not my, you know, we'll talk about some of the lyrics, but I just just have to shout out a couple moments from that song. Can't two people reconnect like has me on the floor. Yes, I know that he's my ex, but can't two people reconnect? I only see him as a friend. Biggest lie I ever said. <laughs> That's so funny. That is just so funny. It's just, it's just so funny. I don't want to explain Olivia Rodrigo's jokes for this whole podcast, but like I am flabbergasted. I'm sensing some undertone, also a really, really good line. So like it's sort of a bit more than it is like one of the absolute hit songs. Yeah, but like from even this that, thing, but I still the, think that it's it's fantastic. The knock at the start of the song with those hushed but knowing whispers of sneaking yes. into someone's room under the cover of darkness. It's like the prequel to the walk of shame. I just I love it so much. <laughs> it's just like it's so good. Yeah. The, the probably not like it's it it really does and it has so many different little like component parts to it. Right. Which I'm just so glad that she and Dan just made this whole thing together as you were explaining. Like I know I was joking about Max Martin, but I don't think a lot of that happens if it's not just two people who can sort of play off of each other and come up with all of these little like angel devil voice I should probably probably not things and have yeah. all of those things being bouncing back and forth and them talking to each other. It's so like layered and it gets the punchlines exactly right. And I don't like, you can't really do that by committee. Right. And she is genuinely really funny. Yeah. Like on stage, I think would be really fun. Like she, this is, it's not like, 
oh, she made some good jokes. I'm like Olivia Rodrigo dropped the Netflix special. Like these are good bits. Yeah. Well, she's she's been at it a while. I think to contextualize, I mean, All American Bitch is not, I think, the best song on the album. I like it a lot. And I love the back and forth between the angelic voices and the gentle plucking of guitar and then the Riot Girl stuff. I guess we found out this is inspired by the book White Album by Joan Didion. But the first three songs in a row, like you can't come away from those three and not be like, who the hell is this? Because you get the Riot Girl stuff, then you get Bad Idea Right, which is this cacophony and schizophrenic sort of back and forth and so much youth. And like you say, like humor and self-deprecation, but also like, fuck you. And then Vampire is this, Again, it's like a Broadway musical. The way you cards, you into me. It is such a great start to a record. But again, I think as great as that sort of threesome and, and triplet is together for me, man, there just is not... Get Him Back is going to be the biggest song from this album. But I will say this to you. Nora Princiati. It is not the best song in this album, but I want to hear yours. What's the best? Okay. So I, you don't think it's the best song? Because I had to think long and hard about this. And in my heart of hearts, I kind of might have to give it to get him back. Okay. But if it's not that, for me, it's love is embarrassing. Now Okay, talk to me. This song is awesome. First of all, Dan is just shredding. Like, if he wants to have a rock star moment on this tour, I mean, I don't know if he'll be part of her live band or whatever, but I, I just think it's so, it's cool to hear that. It's unexpected. It comes kind of late in the song. Yeah. Um, this is not what you asked me, but the Spotify vertical video for this this one is so funny. It's just a it's like a bookshelf, but then all of the books have titles like How to Mother Your Boyfriend or like Manifesting a Text Back. <laughs> and it just really really spoke to me. Second string loser who's not worth mentioning is a great Oh line. my God. Do you hear the Lord voice? Totally. There's, I mean, Lord voice. Lord voice is all over this song. After I'd known you like a month and then you kiss some girl from high school. Now bring my boys in. They're skinning craters like the moon. The moon we love like a brother. And I mean, we know yeah. she's, she's absolutely worships at the altar, which is fine. It's, it's on this song. It is, it's on this song. It's on some of the slower ones too. It's on some of the ballads, but it's super, super catchy. I wouldn't be like shocked if this song ends up being kind of a riser too. I think Get Him Back, it just has a little bit more narrative power to it, I guess. But love is embarrassing. And 
The lyrics are a really good encapsulation of that. It's super, super catchy. And I also think it's one of those songs that, I mean, you mentioned all the all the reviews kind of pointing out, oh, she's a rock star. Like she's leaning into all of the rock sounds. And there's like, that's, there's definitely something to that. I'm curious what you think about that. I tend to be very skeptical of how much people her age and of her musical generation center genre. No. In that way, I don't mean like a, a being aware of it. She's very smart and she's an incredible artist. Of course, she knows what genres she's playing with and what her references are. I'm just not like, I'm not positive that the thing that she thinks about because she knows her audience, which I think tends to be pretty genre agnostic, would set out to say, okay, I'm going to have a real rock and roll moment right now. But I could hear the argument for it too, in the sense that when she does do these interviews, she is dropping a lot of reference. You know, she's talking about the white stripes and and she's making yeah. it clear Rage that she against has, the machine is her favorite band. Right. right. Like she's making it very clear that she has that in her bag and, and that that's informing at least her tastes, if not her own work. But if I choose to sort of live in the the ambiguity of that, I think this song is a really good example of it because it's just it's it's catchy in all the ways that you want a top 40 song to be. But again, like there go those guitars. Yeah. And that's a cool that's always She's dropping F bombs in this song too. Right. She's dropping F bombs all over the place. Um and so that's just a really fun that's a fun mode for me to be listening to her and but you have another song. What is it? I do. Uh, and I feel very passionately about it. I, I am moved deeply by a lot of the ballads on this album, but none more than The Grudge. Say that I'm fine, but you know I can't let it go. I've tried, I've tried, I've tried for so long. I adore this song. This song, the slow down at the end and the silent finish. It takes strength to forgive, but... For me, is just brilliant in the it takes strength to, for, to forgive you, but I'm not quite sure I'm there yet. She just lets your mind fill in the words at the end. You don't need to hear them. You get the E flat to the B flat at the end without the lyric. It just destroys me. I I screamed fuck yes in my car when I heard it because you sort of just intuitively knew that she was going to drop out at the end there after this just painstaking ballad that just rips you open. It's gorgeous. And to just finish with silence for me, it's such a powerful way to say you are not forgiven. It, it just, it got me. And maybe it was the drive. Maybe, I don't know what it was, but this song for me, and look, I might have argued logic. Because I think logic, I mean, besides the fact that logical starts, start, it's like a someone like you, Adele, start right out of the gate. You just, you just will be like, I heard, like, yeah, I got it. Okay. I heard that you settled down. I stir manipulator 
But there's that one follows a set of songs that have whipped you back and forth between ballads and hard rock punk shredding, like you said. But there's moments in Logical where I don't even know, like we might get punk drums right now or we might continue on as a ballad. It's got melody from the boxer. I am just a poor boy, though my story is seldom told. And I fell for you like water from the February sky. It's got low stuff in the bridge that sounds like Welcome to New York. Let's go back to the jar. But the, <laughs> but the end of Logical kind of smushed me. Like those voices, the lyrics are fine, but it just falls a little flat for me. I know I could have stopped it all. God, why didn't I stop it all? So th- that song was building, building, building in a way that I was falling in love with it, but it didn't quite get me there. Then you jump to get him back. You jump to love is embarrassing and you're sort of back in the high bounce in an arena moment and then bang, you get the grudge. And for me, that one just, it just ripped me apart. I love that song so much. I'm going to skip forward a little bit um, in our categories. I cut the grudge. Holy shit. I don't really like it. What? <laughs> it's it's I agree with you. I think the ending I think the ending of it is is the best part of it. By the way, I think the ending of logical is the best part of logical. But I think it's cool how she drops out. Are you at the end. crazy? That's about all I can say in terms of what grabs me in the song. How cold is your heart? I think it's pretty warm. I don't know. You're made of stone. I don't. So here's what I will say. For all of Olivia's many immense talents, I don't always grab the emotion from her voice particularly easily when she's being sort of plain spoken. When she is being sort of performatively cheeky or silly or deliciously a little bit unhinged or sarcastic. I find like, even though it is campy and a little bit over the top, there's something about that that I find very moving because I feel very seen by it. And I feel like it just reflects some of the wackiness and playfulness of women in their zone. I don't always pick out the like individual threads of deeply, deeply felt emotion in some of her songs. Mm. And that definitely happened to me on a fair, not all of the ballads, certainly, but like uh, some of the ballads on this, I didn't totally, didn't totally hook me. The grudge is definitely... Wow, you would cut the it. one where that I, happened. Uh, making the bed I didn't grab me either. Such an honest song. I mean, making the bed. I'll I tell don't you doubt I'm, that it's true. Like I don't. I don't doubt the honesty of it. I, it just doesn't. It doesn't sink its teeth into me. Making the bed. The reason that it didn't grab you is because the verse 
is Stick Season by Noah Kahn. You must have had yourself a change of heart that halfway through the drive. Another piece of plastic could just throw away. Another conversation with nothing good to say. And then the chorus switches immediately to Falling by Harry Styles. What if I'm out? What if I'm someone you want to talk about? Sometimes I feel like I don't want to be where I am getting drunk at a club with my favorite friends. <laughs> and it's really just the stitching of those two songs together. I, making the Bed was fine for me. The grudge slayed me. And I'm so, like, this is one of the biggest disagreements over a song that you and I have ever had. I was like, I mean, this is, we really, really didn't talk about it. And I'm I'm surprised. I'm not surprised that the ballads mean more to you than they do to to me. I'm surprised you like this song this much. I really, I really did like this song this much. But then, so then I have to ask you, like, "Mm, that's really logical you're okay with? So I didn't love uh, logical to me. I really do love that bridge and, and outro when she really crushes the vocal. Said I was too young, I was too soft. Can't take a joke, can't get you off. And it's sort of screeching and, and gut wrenching. That like that stopped me in my tracks. I gotta say, the rest of the song doesn't doesn't totally get me there. I think it's some of the worst lyrical writing on the album, but because of how, how that song develops, I do like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't cut it. Um, I loved in the chorus that changing you is possible, which of course it isn't right. The sort of up is down. Red is green. How about yeah. the part where she says, can't get you off. Can't take a joke, can't get you off. Well, that's like, what I'm talking about. It's like that that that's like that's it. kind of a bar, you know, and, and there's an intensity to that that I found very compelling. Right. Um, you know, the two plus two is equals five. I don't know. Two plus two equals five, and I'm the love of your life. I don't I it's just not my favorite. I it think there are very like being, few, like there yeah. are very few skips on this album, but but these are among my least favorites. Wow. And do you buy into any of the lore, putting money in the jar, around the grudge being about a certain someone? Can I rant for a sec? Uh, yes, please, Nora. You know I love when you do. Pay apps are way too public. Uh-oh. What happened? Okay, so some rando hearted a payment from five months ago And I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying. Full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it is super weird. Well, how are you going to pay your friends then? I'm asking for a friend. Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text. And it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Shh. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. 
So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Okay, do you want to just talk about it? Fine. Yes, I do think that it's about... I, well, so hold on. Come I on. Def, I definitely think Lacey is about Taylor Swift. Ooh, I care, care, care. Like perfume that you wear. I linger all the time. I'm a little split on the grudge. If nightmares each week about that Friday in May, one phone call from you and my entire world was changed. Just because the wonderful denizens of the internet have informed me. I haven't seen it. I should watch it. Uh, that in her documentary, she refers to having been broken up with on May 8th, 2020, right. which was a Friday. Mm-hmm. She mentions a Friday in May. Now, May mm-hmm. was also when uh, May of 2021 was when they retroactively gave credit to to Taylor for Cruel Summer on Deja Vu. So it's interesting though, Nora, I mean, she's just in this Rolling Stone article today is like, or yesterday, whatever it, it is like, listen, I'm, I'm not into beefs. I don't have beefs with anybody. Something is cold. She's like that, that songwriting stuff was handled team to team. I wasn't really involved, yeah. but she's had every single opportunity to say, I love her so much. And it was great. Blah, 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 blah. And, she, and, and it didn't happen. She's done a hard pass on praise, although she did in the interview with Phoebe Bridgers at least say that was like the an epic tour. It was amazing, right? Even though she, I yes. guess, didn't see it. Yes, but, and right. I, I mean, that is the exception that proves the rule, maybe, because in every single instance where she has been asked publicly recently in, in this round of press about whether or not there's beef with Taylor which has been asked of her enough times where you'd think that if there was a real interest in squashing it, I mean, doesn't matter if they're feeling it from the heart. If they have an interest in doing this, they can walk down the street together or like say something nice or throw up a retweet. And it's probably all over. And absolutely no one has taken the opportunity to do that. She on also, either frankly, side. On either side. Right. I mean, and Taylor, like... <laughs> I don't want to make too much of this, but Taylor's on tour with Sabrina Carpenter. Taylor and Olivia, that was for a couple of months there. That was a real love fest. Well, I mean, did Taylor use Olivia? Or did Olivia use Taylor? I mean, also, like, look, I don't mean to be cynical, but are they still using each other? Because it does kind of, even if there was a real beef here, it kind of surprises me that no one has squashed it. And sometimes conflict is good for business. I don't like that narrative. <laughs> like, I, I hope that's not true just because it's sort of icky. 
But if all anyone wanted to do were to end this story, it could have been done with a lot more ease. And And you're right to point out that in that Rolling Stone article, she did the same thing when she was asked directly about Taylor that she does in every article, which is give an answer that she knows is unsatisfying, but just say, I don't have, she said, I don't have beef with anyone. I'm very chill. I keep to myself. She was also asked about having to give retroactive credit to Paramore. And I thought that was interesting because she was a little bit feistier about it. She said, I was a little caught off guard at the time. It was very confusing and I was green and bright eyed and bushy tailed. Is that the phrase? And then there was a follow-up where they asked her if she would do that to another artist. And she said, I don't think I would ever personally do that, but who's to say where I would be in 20, 30 years? Yeah, which Which is is, a dunk in and of itself. It's a dunk in and of itself. Um, I say again, I never want to be in a fight with Olivia Rodrigo. (laughs) It's a good moment to move to who we think her most important collaborator is because my argument is that... her most important collaborator was Taylor Swift because I think this Taylor Swift stuff is the best possible thing that could have happened to her. I think it did. I think it did sting. And I think suddenly three songs on this massive hit album were claimed by others and inherently the fan bases, but also the press to a certain extent. And it's clear based on the fact that she is a creature of social media that she pays attention there was a maybe legit, maybe not legit question of, can she actually do this on her own without Taylor Swift? Can she actually do this on her own without copying others? Was this album actually sort of ghost penned in some ways by Taylor Swift? And there's more conspiracy theory there than reality, but the truth is I think it's stuck. Yeah, I I mean, that if you listen to the whole album is I think a little bit silly. It is, but look, following a first album hit is nearly impossible. Again, Alanis Morissette couldn't do this. Taylor Swift did not have this pressure. There wasn't a single song from debut album in the era's tour set list, except for the surprise song. So Taylor didn't even have the pressure of following that up. She certainly felt it after Fearless. But the second one, can I do? I mean, she sings about this totally openly on Teenage Dream, right? Uh, it does Olivia about the, about the pressure of doing that. But to me, say I'll get better, but what if I don't, this was a forcing function for her to find a sound that was decidedly not Taylor Swift. And with all due respect to Gracie Abrams, a lot of speculation that maybe Lacey is about Gracie Abrams. We can come back to Lacey, especially when we talk about songs that we're not necessarily into. Uh, With all due, like this album does not sound like a Taylor Swift record. To me, it sounds more like an Eminem record than a Taylor Swift record. And I'm I'm being slightly hyperbolic, but this is its own thing, as David S. Pumpkins would say. Yeah, yeah. And David Pumpkins is his own thing. Okay, wait, hold on though. Yeah. The Taylor beef was more significant than whatever happened with Paramore and Misery Business, even though that was the more blatant copy
that word. I think that the concerns about her being overly derivative or not being able to write a song without snatching little bits and pieces from other people's work were ridiculous off of Olivia's first album. I think good for you. Probably, I think they deserved that credit on, on. I don't disagree. Good for you. I don't disagree. I don't, I, I think it's up to the individuals how big of like, I've never been in that position, right? Like I, I think that's the type of thing where depending on the circumstances can be not a big deal at all. There are samples all the time. I mean, yeah, they cleared New Year's Day before Someday the album came we'll out. Know. Someday so it's not, we'll know. But the it lawyers also knew clearly, each other because of that. Right. There was an email thread. And there at was the an same email time, thread and a phone call. Yeah. I can also see it being massively impactful in some ways when you're feeling all the pressure of being on this massive stage for the first time. So it... But I think it on, could have narrowed the aperture. Like, I don't have well, to so, make so, a huge on, record. On, I gotta make on, sure I'm on. not Taylor. Hold on. So your your point is that that made her feel like I'm gonna make a record and I have to make sure that I'm not Taylor. And yep. because Taylor's stature is what it is and because she'd been you know, the world's most famous Swifty or, or whatever it was, that was more important and something that provided more direction and influence than what happened with Paramore because this happened with two artists, right? Taylor and Paramore. And I agree with you. Guts does not sound like a Taylor Swift record. It arguably sounds a little bit like a Paramore record in some spots. Yeah. Uh, not I, in a way that I think is problematic in the slightest. I think yeah. it is delicious. Yeah. But if we're going to make the argument that the concerns over how much of this is derivative pushed her somewhere, it is at least somewhat interesting to me that if it pushed her away from one of the people who asked from retroactive credit, it didn't seem to do that for the other. Look, what happens in big football games when there's a ton of pressure? The coach always looks for bulletin board material, which is psychologically a distraction from getting you to think about the pressure to be mad and to compartmentalize it and push through it. I think that's part of what happened here. I think she relieved herself of some of the pressure of the follow-up and everything. Could it be to be like, I am not going to make a Taylor Swift record. I'm going to make something that is uniquely my own. And this album is uniquely her own. Yes, it taps into things we've heard before. Yes, you know, babes and toilet. Like it, there's, it's all over this record. Rage Against the Machine, sure. But this is something for her generation. This would never be passed off as something else. And I think it it helped. It was a, that entire episode was a catalyst for what we got here. And I think without it, we might not have gotten this record. We might have gotten, and again, I love that Gracie Abrams record, but it sure sounds like she's chasing Taylor Swift more than she's trying to do something completely solo on her own. This feels like a standalone voice of a generation, something you got to reckon with. And I think that's part of the tension. Right. Well, and I do think for as little, I, I, I didn't think the first, like other than some little snippets, which I do think it's fair game for, for Taylor to send the lawyers and say, hey, look, credit where it's due. I didn't think the first record sounded like it was derivative of Taylor Swift. So I didn't really have those concerns for this one. The thing that that is interesting within that context, though, is that uh, while I don't think it's there musically, 
We got a lot of vinyls. We got a lot of different colored vinyls for this. We have this multi-platform rollout. We have the fact that we're hearing and, and, you know, there's a line in each one of these profiles and these stories about how Olivia negotiated for the right to own her masters when she did her deal. The footprints of, you know, the blueprints laid by Taylor Swift are all over her career because she's the most influential person in, in music or in pop music or in just sort of stardom over the course of Olivia's uh, lifetime. And that's fine. Like, that's how it should be. I'm sure that's complicated if there's been some some tension and you're going from, I idolize this person. I listen to their songs every day. I, you know, they made me want to be a songwriter. And now we do have this conflict or just a harsh reality of business superseding those warm, fuzzy feelings of, of listening to yeah, someone all in those your room when you're 12. Business-wise that Taylor stood up for that guided the career, it hasn't gone well for people on the other end of Taylor Swift's copyrights ever. Right. And, and I, and I'm not like, this is not me to be incredibly clear. Like I, I think Olivia is navigating this incredibly well. And if she's hurt by that, I think that's just as much her prerogative as it is Taylor's to say, I think I deserve credit for this and I'm going to ask for it. Yeah. I do think that a, a, it's worth being aware of the fact that there are paths Taylor has paved that I think are very helpful to Olivia Rodrigo and to anyone. And this is me maybe being a little bit defensive of, of Taylor as someone who I think has been accused of just sort of being out for herself. But as we watch Olivia's career move forward, we're starting to see real examples of how her influence on the music industry actually hasn't just helped Taylor Swift. It's helped Taylor Swift, but it's also helped other people. It's my only point. Well, this is one that from my perspective is on the 34 year old who's now getting almost 34 year old who's now getting paid fairly uh, for those copyrights where I'm sure they did not have a phone conversation. I'm not sure. I suspect they didn't have a phone conversation between the two of them. As Olivia said, it was team to team. And I can understand how if there was some pushback from one lawyer or the other, that there was a little bit of drama. But my sense is it's probably better for the world that this not be a a, a beef between two sort of generational stars. So let's see what happens. We've got the VMAs tonight. Maybe Taylor's going to show up. We've got a world tour coming. There's going to be a Grammy moment at some point in the next five months. <laughs> She's going to show up with Olivia. They're going to share like a big, huge hug and we're going to have to record this entire podcast. It's, over no, again. but I think, I think, I think what happens here is still TBD. That's for sure. She didn't go to the tour. There's been the the public statements. It hasn't been. She's had all the opportunity. Taylor's had opportunity too. Hasn't happened. Let's see where we go from here. Who, from your perspective, was her most important collaborator? Okay, I thought about being cheeky, but I wanted to talk about Dan Nigro. Good. I knew um, you would. I'm a little like I'm a little jealous of their vibe together. It seems really special and wonderful. And I think I brought this up earlier, just the fact that I think that the little the little bits and quirks and just fun things that happen in each one of these songs, to me, you really hear a collaboration just between 
two people who are working with each other all the time. I mean, I think of mm-hmm. the little chord switch on the just like the goddamn Kennedys in All American Bitch. Which is, it sounds cool. It is the type of thing that keeps a song fresh in your ear. And I just think that all of the dynamism on this song, like it changes, you know, there's a little bit of that, that Lord lineage in here's the, you know, slow languid verse. And then all of a sudden this chorus is going to go super hard and you're just going to be switching up what you're listening to all the time in these things. It's one of my favorite qualities to the record. And I just think that doesn't happen so easily when you have X number of hours of studio time with someone, and then they're going to get swapped out for a different producer, a different songwriting partner, and you're just shuffling through a bunch of people. There are benefits to that too, but I would at least imagine that if you're doing things that way, you can't wake up in three days and be like, oh, I have a cool idea for this part. Can we go back and work on that? And I don't know, like, I would love to hear more and more and more and more about the actual making of all of these these songs. But I just feel like you can hear that all over this record. And it's awesome. I think they're incredible together. And they seem to really like doing that. And, you know, change is always necessary at some point, but they seem like they're in the zone and I'm all for it. Also, he plays some incredible guitar. Is there anything you'd cut besides the grudge because you're a homicidal maniac who should be locked up (laughs) to keep you from harming small children and farm animals? You're so upset. Bunnies and... Um, Baby seals. I mean, what else do you want to stab? <laughs> What's there's a line from the um, from Obsessed, which is one of the bonus tracks that I love, which is I know you loved her. I know I'm butthurt. And that's what you sound like right now, <laughs> defending <laughs> your song. Um, that, not surprisingly, that's the same phrase that Travis Kelsey used when he said that Taylor Swift wouldn't meet her at the concert. Just jar, put that out there. A full dollar in the jar. Um, what would you, you cut? You asked me if there was anything else that I would cut. Um, I would also cut making the bed. Push away all the people who know me the best. But it's me who's been making the bed. Interesting. You really sold out on these ballads on this album. You have invested yourself in the pillow fight, in the riot girlness. There's yeah. something about that part of this record that is that is resonating for you. And it's interesting to me because I I, I understand why Ballad of a Homeschooled Girl is on this album. Ah! No, you wouldn't dare. You wouldn't fucking dare, Hubbard. It it sets the tone. I love, I'm not even sure this is about her situation so much as it is like everyone in this generation, what it feels like. I mean, the social suicide stuff is super cool. Every guy like is gay is a hilarious line. 
she just, you know, is so honestly communicating how she feels awkward. But I, like, is it weird that I, Lacey and homeschool girl back to back just didn't get me super excited? Yeah. Lacey, listen, Lacey feels like a Billie Eilish song. Is it about Sabrina Carpenter? Is it about Gracie Abrams? Is it about nobody? Is it about Taylor Swift? I mean, it has a lot of the like Billie Eilish Barbie movie song. Looks so alive. Turns out I'm not real. It has some Billie Eilish she when sells the party's that, though. over. I'm, I'm more into Olivia's like spooky witchy voice than you are, I think. I don't know. This one just felt a little more derivative to me and a little bit. I mean, I love the line. I despise my jealous eyes and how hard they fell for you. I, I love it. It's great. I, I'm not cutting Lacey. Ballad of a homeschool girl for me is just not something that I go back and listen to. I'm also like a dad. Like this is not made for me. And I get that. So I'm just, are you saying you, that nothing you ever do is tragic? Everything I do is That you're always on point, that you've never embarrassed yourself in public, Nathan. How dare you? Like, actually, how dare you? All this that is, is I true. feel the way that you feel about me cutting grudge. Uh, that's about fine. you cutting this song. Well, look, I'm not cutting Teenage Dream because well, I wait, do. Hold love on. It. No, 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 no. We're not done talking about Ballad of a Homeschool Girl. Okay. It, it got like. Does it do anything for you how hard it goes at the end? Yeah. Like that, that gets grungier than any other moment yeah. on this album. It feels a little bit performative to me in that. Like when I see her doing this live, it's when I feel like she's at her least honest and most like, but it is like projecting there's honesty in performance. Sometimes it is performance. I'm sure that Olivia, for instance, she's an actress and I don't know that she acts this one very well. Oh, I think this, that's where I disagree. I think she acts it incredibly. She's exaggerating. I'm sure she's liked a straight man before. No, of course Once or has. twice, you no, know? I know that that part is... I know there's humor in all of that. I just mean the general... Vi- like, Avril Lavigne, I believed. I think Olivia's... Olivia is a little soft. I think... Okay, you we weren't trying to bring this up. I, yes. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's not, I mean, in terms of like, is that the specific sound that Olivia is going to make her, her raison d'etre for like all of an album or all of a career? Her of course what? not. Her but, what now? You speaking um, French now? There's a great, um, what is it? And when he said something wrong, he just fly me to France. And when he said something wrong, he just fly me to France. <laughs> that's a great line. Uh, I don't think that she actually wants to make a grunge record. I do think okay. that she has a lot of fun spending 20 seconds on, on the outro of a song. Cosplaying really grunge. That. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, it's a song where I think that type of silliness and playfulness works, but I also have a very high bandwidth for that. 
So I agree, but I think it's on All American Bitch. It's on Bad Idea Right. It's on Get Him Back. In some ways, it's on Love is Embarrassing. It's almost on Pretty Isn't Pretty. Which is Friday, I'm in love by The Cure. But it's it, it it's enough on this album is what I mean. And I like Ballad of Homeschool Girl. I just, I understand why it's there. Because again, it sets the tone and it, it, it plugs, it hooks into what sounds like is grabbing you. Um, for me, it just was, eh, meh. I like lyrically the song. I just, the song itself didn't feel like, I gotta go run that one back. I'd so much rather fast forward three songs to get him back and play that 75 more times. And that's true, even though she is, I mean, do I hesitate to say that she's rapping some of these verses? It is one of the most talky songs. Yes, you're right. I get it. Searching how to start a conversation on the website. I talked to the talk guy, swore it was his type. Guess that he was making out with boys at the party. It just doesn't bring me back to it in the way that some other things do. But look, uh, it's it's the fit. It's a track five, baby. <laughs> so it's hard to it's hard to eject. I think just for me, the back half of the album contains so much truth and so. It is so delightful that I, I don't know. I'm not sure how they went through the sequencing of this record. I would have rather seen get him back in this slot. This is why I love talking to you about this stuff, especially when we have not gone over it, because you and I both absolutely love this album and had like diametrically opposed experiences listening to it. Where well, yes. I think that the top, it's not, it's not like pure top to bottom or anything like that. But to me, this album is front loaded. I mean, I guess getting back in love is embarrassing or, or pretty late. Yes, they are. Aren't they? Hmm. Well, you just yeah, don't love you... the ballads. I think the opening three songs are awesome. It's like, holy crap. Who is this person? Well, so much so that I'm a little like the etherealness of Lacey has just, just, it doesn't grab me in the same way. And then I'm at Ballad of Homeschool Girl. I'm like, wow, okay, I got it. I feel like I heard this a little bit in the first two songs. And then we get to Making the Bed, and I'm like, hmm, this feels like Noah Kahn and Harry Styles. And then I'm on Logical. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so in love with this song. And then bang, get him back. And you're like, this album might win the Grammy for Album of the Year. Yeah, it might. And I still haven't heard The Grudge or Love is Embarrassing or Pretty Isn't Pretty, which is a great, fun song, or Teenage Dream, where she basically says, hey, you know how hard it is to do this and how afraid I am that I'm not getting any better? This is as good as it gets. Yeah, and it's sweet that um, Katy Perry has sort of been mentoring her. Yes. We didn't learn that until after the album came out, or maybe I think they'd been seen together or whatever, but that the fact that that was such a substantial relationship was, what did you say? Maybe Katy Perry's saying she's mentoring her. Maybe this is Katy Perry tucking in the Olivia Rodrigo slipstream. 
Well, maybe a little bit, but I mean, she was quoted in the Rolling Stone article in a way that clearly like clearances had happened where there was some legitimacy to that. The last thing that I will say about Ballad of a Homeschool Girl is just that there was no chance that I wasn't going to love a song with the lyric. I made it weird. I made it worse. We've all been there. You said something that really interested me, which is that you mentioned um, the fact that this is track five. Lacey being track four, it uh, was not lost on me that track four on Sour was one step forward, three steps back. Do you love me, want me, hate me? Boy, I don't understand. No, I don't understand. So if we are playing the, you know, who might this thing be about? I don't think that Olivia Easter eggs quite so obviously as um, some other people we know, but there is a parallel of the song that originally interpolated New Year's Day. There's glitter on the floor after the party. Called you on the phone today. Was in the same album slot as Lacey on this record. I know the drama is so fun. I think her, I just feel like her reactions in the press when asked this question time and time again, lead me to believe that as much as I want one of these songs to be about Taylor Swift, I don't think either of them are. I don't. I know that's not fun. I know that's like womp womp. I, so I disagree with all of that. I, would, I think she's afraid. to. I, I don't think she wanted to put anything in here. I think she wanted to cut it all out. I don't even think she wanted to grace her with the presence of the drama. I don't think she succeeded in doing that if she was trying to do that. I, I Again, I had the complete opposite experience listen, listening to those songs, which was just... And like, look, I to some extent in a voyeuristic way where this is part of celebrity, it is fun for us to sit here and talk about this stuff. So I'm, I'm not denying that there is a piece that's sort of catty and dishy and interesting and fun in that way. This is Taylor and Carly territory for me. I would rather they be friends. I would rather the salt, like there's a piece of it that makes me sad because I just think they're both so talented or also that sort of confuses me just because it doesn't seem like the it doesn't seem like the origin of the beef should be this meaningful although maybe just with the significance of how much Olivia has cared about Taylor like that would be a factor i think we t- talked about that before it is just hard for me to hear the lyrics to really either of those songs. Now the Friday in May definitely has a, a, an alternate interpretation, but to me, the songs sound true. They sound authentically felt and they certainly work as songs that are about Taylor Swift. It's hard for me to hear these things and go, she doesn't want anybody to have the option to, hear these things in that way. That's true. And she's been very clear about that. She doesn't want to screw up everybody else's interpretation. But I do think, you know, the porcelain skin stuff from Lacey, like it feels like she's singing about somebody younger, the bows in the hair. Like ribbons in your hair, my 
It's somebody else. If you want to go to the grudge, okay. But I still think if you really dissect those lyrics, that that feels more like a relationship with a, a love interest more so than a, than I'm broken from what you did related to the songs. Because I think if that really was the case, she'd be saying different things in the press. She wouldn't be so directly honest on these songs and then passive aggressively ducking it in the press. But the songs, they don't have the smoking gun in the way that a Taylor song has no. a smoking gun. No. So I, I don't I don't know that I agree with it because I think she can still have have some plausible deniability. I'm not saying that I think they absolutely are about Taylor Swift. I have no idea. And in a lot of ways, I hope they aren't. But I, I do think it is undeniable that that is in the water stream and that it is not possible to rule it out by what's in the songs. This is every Taylor Swift conspiracy theory you've ever tried to shoot down, but I'm going to no, let you have it. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's not. This is a little more legitimate than that. This is a thing. Okay. Let's talk about lyrics because <laughs> you mentioned the puff pastry thing. And I just, and whether it's Taylor, whether it's whatever, skin like puff pastry is playing on a loop in my head. Lacey, oh, Lacey. And I will think about it for the rest of my life and not understand it. (laughs) Well, you aren't eating the right puff pastries then. Is it before baking or after? Maybe she's got like, or he has terrible eczema. Maybe Lacey has... That doesn't sound... I just restarted using my retinol. Maybe Lacey is a leper. I feel like I have skin like puff pastry right now where it just wants to like flake off. Yeah. Doesn't seem great. Doesn't seem like something like everything else in the song is like, you're made of angel dust. You're so like ethereal. And I'm like, I don't think skin like puff pastry really goes with this, but it is a haunting lyric. It is something that like, there's just, there's a, a, a phyllo dough level of layers and mystery to that. So I just needed to hear what your take was on it. Yeah, I'm with you. I agree that something's wrong. I think Lacey is a leper. And it has nothing to do with, <laughs> <laughs> with Taylor. I, okay, now you've convinced me. I could buy the Sabrina Carpenter argument on that one, though. I think there's some interesting parallels. Um, she does have great skin. And, and especially the Bardo reference. So. And, it, and the bows. Okay, all right, maybe. Yeah, I, I think visually I, I could see that one. There's so many wonderful lyrics on this album that I actually zagged and went back to the grudge and the end of it, which is the absence of the lyrics, because I think in that very end of that song, they're in your head, even though she's not singing them. And I thought that was, again, one of the most powerful moments of the, of the record. So for me, it was the ability to sing lyrics without actually saying them. Take strength to forgive, but... For me, was that because the rest of this record is just like lyrically brilliant. She is like a rapidly rising great American poet. There's no doubt. I know I've said this like 16 different times. A great American poet, but also a great, like a voice of a generation level comedian. Yeah. 
I felt like there were just, I knew that for this category, I was going to choose something that I just think is laugh out loud funny. And there are 50 different things that I could choose. But I went with the outro to Love is Embarrassing, where she's like going between the little ha 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 ha's, but it's I give up everything. I'm planning out my wedding with some guy I'm never marrying. It's just thrown in at the end. Right. And it is like a thing that we all talk. Like, I really remember a lot of conversations with friends where we will use as shorthand, like, oh, like, I'm really planning the wedding on this one. And it's just so, like, I just really, I really feel seen by this 19-year-old. I can tell. I can tell. (laughs) It just means a lot to me. Thank you, Olivia. This really matters to you. It's great. It could, uh, again, it really could have been a lot of things. Fly Me to France was amazing. We talked about Can't Two People Reconnect. I'm sensing some undertone. It's just so funny. Um, Fame Fucker probably also deserves a reference, but we, t- we talked about that. Fame Fucker deserves a massive reference, yes. Fame Fucker, bleeding me dry like a goddamn vampire. This is a little bit more about how how she does it, but the the all the time I'm grateful all the time. All the time I'm grateful all the time. On All American Bitch, in that sort of like sweet choral sing songy voice, like mwah. excellent, just excellent work. We have had so much to talk about, and. I just really feel like on one talking to you about this, that we have completely gone off script with our categories, which I think is is beautiful fun. And it's been a wonderful roller coaster. But I just want to make sure that we're talking about everything that we promised each other we would hit. So we've done biggest song. We've done best song. We've talked about the collaborators. We've done what we'd cut. Very controversial. I skipped us forward to best lyric because I just wanted to talk about puff pastry. You were going to give us a peak, Olivia, and it had something to do with the iPhone campaign. Nathan, you have the floor. I think I said it. Listen, I was going to use the word fuck, and then she, because that's like peak Olivia. She just <laughs> says it. It's incredible. She just is so good at it. I think this Get Him Back video is actually peak Olivia because it just speaks to her as this multi hyphenate creator that has permission from her fan base to be in an iPhone commercial. Most big, world-breaking artists even 10 years ago would have been called a sellout for doing this. But in the, in this generation of creator, like we've made it cool and she's found a way to do that. So she's fully monetizing her brand. She's got permission to do it. And it it, it is, it's this awesome video completely shot on the iPhone 15 run out and buy it kids. <laughs> I actually need a new phone. <laughs> Maybe I'll get that one. Sounds great. Um, I went with the fact that this girl, who is one of our most famous Twilight stands, wrote a song called Vampire. Like, come on. Fair enough. When she had Vogue in her in her house to do 73 questions. She had one of the Twilight books visible on a bookshelf. They didn't pull it out and talk about it, but you could just see that it was there. And obviously, 
the narrative works really well where, you know, she's dating a sort of sceny club guy. So the only coming out at night is very effective. But lest we forget, this woman spent a lot of time at one point in her life thinking about whether she was Team Edward or Team Jacob. And I think that's still coming through to this day. And I think it's beautiful. My girls are Team Edward all the way, just so you know. One of my dearest friends married a guy named Edward Cullen. And Ooh, I tried, so, I tried so hard, so hard to get her to make their wedding hashtag Team Edward. And she wouldn't do it. Just unbelievable behavior. So you keep a grudge? <laughs> no, because I don't have a song that I like to listen to about it. So I guess forgive and forget on that one. I got something for you. Is there Easter an Easter eggs? egg in this album no. for huh. you? Look at that synergy. Um, so we talked about the the Friday in May. Is the one that to me is the most like, if we were doing the Taylor game and, and searching through liner notes, that's the only one that really calls out. Here's a specific moment that you can try to sleuth back and forward. But maybe even because, as you said, the plausible deniability thing, I think, is important to her. It's funny that there there are literally alternate explanations you can come up with when you go back and try to do that sort of digging. The other thing, this is not I don't know if this is quite an Easter egg, but have you called the guts hotline? No. So there's this phone number that's all over the iconography. It's it's in the Get Him Back video a bunch of times. And it's just very funny because if I did call it and it's like, welcome to the Guts Hotline. And it's Olivia speaking. And it basically just says like, we'll be back in September. I don't quite know why it exists, but it was funny. I had a good time spending 30 seconds placing that phone call. Thanks for calling your free consultation on guts. We feel for your every little issue, and we promise to pay attention to things most people ignore. We're unavailable right now, but we'll see you at your next appointment on September 8th. If you need anything in the meantime, spill your guts on our text line or visit spillyourguts.com. She's definitely Easter egging. I mean, she, mine was that she put that she put the album name in the Brutal video. So, Oh my gosh. A, yeah, but by I the way... I didn't even realize that. Yeah, but do not Google this because if you Google anything with the words brutal guts and video in it, you're not oh going to like what you get. Okay. Thank you for telling telling me and any of our listeners who missed that Easter egg so that we don't have to do that and so that we can avoid that. Um, that's a good one. I'm into it. The police immediately show up your, at your door if you Google that. <laughs> As they should. All right. We talked about lyrics. Go ahead. There's only one thing left to do, which is to assign this album a grade. You want me to go first? You can go first. I gave it an A. Yeah. It's incredible. It's it's like, it's the best thing I've heard in a long time. Yeah, I agree. And it sounds like for not different reasons, because I like most of the songs that you like, just the way that you and I connect with it is very different. And I think that in and of itself, given that neither of us are 19... Um, I'm a little bit closer to 19 than you are, but the this is like I guess the the question that I have for you on this is it's going to go head to head with midnight. Did you just hit me with a who knows where I'll be in 20, 30 years? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I hit you with the ridiculous 
bunch of bullshit because I'm way older than you. But um, but I do have a daughter who's 19. Thanks for clarifying that, Nathan. People were I really do have confused. a daughter who's 19. And it's very interesting to sort of come at this record from those two different places, right? Um, but I but I do want to know, like, this album's going to go head-to-head up against Midnight's for album of the year. There are going to be some others in the category, and I will go on the record as saying... I did say in our One Direction uh, every single album series that I did not think <laughs> that Harry's House was going to win album of the year, and it did. And that might have been because some other people split the vote. We did like that album very much. We love this album. That was clear from the first moment. But what I wanted to ask you the whole pod is, how does this do in the vo- with the voters going head-to-head with Midnight's? Man, it's really hard to... Because that's where we're headed. Yeah. I mean, let's just be clear. This whole, whatever the whatever the tension is, all this drama, maybe it gets broken between now and the Grammys, but that's where we are going to end up, is Olivia God, versus Taylor. I'm a little Taylor. scared to answer this question, but I'll just do it anyway. Drag me, whatever. I, I think this would win. Yeah, it's gonna. I. It's just, it's, it's fresher. I love Midnight's. Yeah, I love me Midnight's, too. I think, even more than, like, I, I think it probably ranks, I love... I love a pop album, as we know. And I think there are special songs on on Midnight's. There is, you know, Taylor doesn't have the opportunity to surprise in the same way than someone who is is so much fresher on the scene can. But there's just something that I found, like, exhilarating about listening to this, where... It doesn't sound like anything other than her. And I don't mean that in in the sense of, oh, phew, she, you know, beat the stealing songs allegations from Sour because that was not front of mind to me at all. Yeah. I, I just mean that we are in this very weird content space where it is hard to get something to the center of culture. It is hard to get massive amounts of people to dig their teeth into something when it's not. Taylor Swift or Beyonce or Barbie, all things that are amazing, but also have a like a multi generational legacy of people already being on board mm-hmm. <laughs> with them. And I don't know, maybe I was just so hungry for it that I'm I'm seeing this fitting into that, but. This just felt like a an experience that I hadn't had listening to an album in a while where you hear someone developing a sound and just like playing with all the tools in their toolkit and articulating a vision for themselves as an artist in a way that just like, first of all, slaps. I mean, Jack White apparently told Olivia that that her job is to write songs that she wants to hear on the radio. And I want to hear the fuck out of these songs on the radio. But it also does feel just exciting and special in the way that she is sort of writing her own story and and who she is as a person and as an artist in a way that again I feel very seen by this 19 year old. Well, we're we're 5 days into the existence of this album in the public domain. You and I both believe for many of the same and some of the different reasons that this is the voice of a generation. Let's see if that generation embraces it. Do I agree that she's, I think she's a voice. If there is. Yeah, she's a voice. Billie Eilish is a peer. There are others. Yeah. 
But th- this is a voice of a generation. It, let's see now whether this breaks through and grabs in the same way as you and I both expect it. This podcast is basically over, but I'm going to keep talking to you about one thing because there's just, I just really like talking about this album. And I have one more question before we go, which is how <laughs> the fact that it is kind of a rock album fits into that. We talked about it a little bit before, but again, I'm like, I'm part of me is like resistant to the, this being a thing that matters just because again, I don't like, I, I don't think she spends that much time being like, am I a pop star? Am I like, am I making a rock record? Um, but there was a kernel of me that thinking about what, what we were just talking about with, you know, how much is she in conversation with less like a Taylor, but someone like a Billie Eilish that makes me wonder a little bit about if she, not even purposefully, but if she is sort of skirting around the center of super shiny pop music, if that avoids some of the the landmines and the challenges of being a pop star making making their second album and going through this period in, in life. Anything? No? Yes? Maybe? To me, I think you're right. I think what's fun about this record is that she's blending genres sort of effortlessly into a bunch of different moments and piecing them together in ways that they can be discovered from different ways. You can discover one of these songs on TikTok. You can listen to the entire song. They are sort of like operatic ballads with different chapters in some ways. Like I think she is untethered from pop via this album, uh, but like I'm on the board of Gibson guitar, like more people than ever are playing guitars. It it became a big thing in lockdown and it has continued on and on and on. So like rock music is here. I don't think it's going anywhere. And I think that actually foundationally having it sound different than coming out of the monocultural moment of Taylor Swift this summer matters and it's part of what I think feels fresh. Like you sat and listened to Taylor Swift pop songs. They're not all pop songs, but you listen to the Taylor Swift sort of popish Jack Mac sound for three hours and whatever it was, 15 minutes, sometimes three and a half hours. This feels like a different experience. And I think it's benefiting from that. I do think it's untethering for her. I think that's right. I needed to work through that, but I I I, I just don't think that's it. I also think that like there can be as many guitars as she can find on this planet on this album. And these are songs that work on top 40 radio, which sort of makes her a pop star in the reductive way that we think about it. So that's where I land, but it, it isn't interesting. Like, I don't know. It clearly it's gotten the wheels turning. I think she's more of a rapper than a pop star, Nora. Wow. You think she's like Eminem? (laughs) I do. <laughs> you think that that Eminem is Olivia Rodrigo's chief peer. Um, I think we're going to end this podcast now because I have just gotten a flurry of text messages about our girl being out and about in quite the black dress at the VMAs. Any last words on guts before we go? By the way, that's another 25 in the, in the swear jar, in the Taylor jar for me. No, I'm broke. Let's end it while we can. (laughs) All right. This has been every single album. As always, I'm Nora Princiati. He's Nathan Hubbard. 
thank you to the fabulous Kaya McMullen for production on this episode. And we'll see you soon. I am so rooting against this Travis Kelsey Taylor Swift thing. It's not real. It's not it's real. Not real. He's he and his brother's documentary premiered today. They are, this is like completely orchestrated by the two of them. There, there's no way she allowed somebody to shoot that shot and take it. Unless if she did, she's such a dopey nerd. I mean, that's like not out of the question. But just the way that they're going about it, the fact they were like joking about it on. All right, maybe this should be the pod. <laughs> do you want? Do you want to come on the NFL it, show? This should be the hidden. This should be the hidden track of the pod. Is this fucking discussion? Because she is such a nerd. It's it's that tweet that I saw. It's like somebody's like, well, you know, he's handsome. He's unproblematic. He has his own money. That's why we know she's not talking to him. That's funny. That actually is funny. It's super funny. It's super funny. But like, but come on. They're not dating. Also, like, she's been in New York, like, every day. What? When is he in New York? Right. Never. He, like, he, if he'd gotten hurt, if he'd gotten hurt a week earlier than he did, then, like, he could conceivably, but they're at, like, the end of training camp. They have stuff every day. Also, no, she's not going to Missouri. Is there a plain flight tracker on her like there is there was well there was but there was but um and actually at one point there was a very very niche dark web josh allen rumor because the plane must like it must be cheaper to stash it in buffalo because it goes to buffalo all the fucking time and that um, might be where maintenance happens yeah something like that uh because clearly it's like she's not on it um there was at one point uh why wasn't it a a step why wasn't it like a digs rumor why did it have to be josh allen that's a great question i mean nobody turns the ball over like josh allen so maybe it's true it's true i don't know but look this can't be true i just I love him. It's great. It's fine. But like, if all it takes is going on a stupid podcast and yeah, no, I don't like, like phone number on a bracelet. Like, God, he's fine. I enjoy Travis Kelsey. Yes, she can do better than Travis Kelsey. It's okay. To, like, it's it's okay. She, she should be she, doing better yeah, than Travis Kelsey. Like, this has, is not okay. Unless you count Calvin Harris, she has not really checked the box of total meathead. And she definitely hasn't checked the box of like, you know, somewhat successful American dopey athlete. Yeah, but like football, like, I just don't, I don't know. It's, he's too, he's like too fratty. It's just like, we can't. That's what I think. I think, but maybe she just decided, I mean, if I'm going to date Maddie Healy, let me at least date, you know. Somebody who doesn't go change all me. the way in the other direction. Yeah, <laughs> let me date a guy who's <laughs> weird for other reasons, but but also like she okay. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. She can't. This is the hidden track.
she can't she's recording this i'm not recording it she can't for the first time articulate clearly that she is indeed an eagles fan like two months ago and then date the non-eagles and in fact chiefs i mean jason i think is married with children but whatever she's not dating travis Kelsey. also both the page six report and the daily mail thing quoted that people are passing thing. around yeah. quoted the bullshit thing yes this has not existed anywhere other than the bullshit no. thing and um demois which no. is also bullshit and unless you put him in a coffin and carry her into her place in new york like there's no way there just isn't time he's been working also on their show like say like imagine say they were say they were canoodling okay on their show last week yeah he like had a weird trucker mustache yeah and jason was like how does taylor swift feel about the mustache right and Jace and Travis was like, hey, we're not going to talk about Taylor Swift, but I think she likes it, which is like, you can't, you don't she would say that. Like, yeah, right. You don't say that if it's real, you say that if it's a bit so that people will watch your Amazon documentary. And he wore a John Mayer shirt on the pod. Unbelievable. So this is not happening. It's not happening. I mean, but it would be. It would be objectively the is, hilarious. She is like just chaotic of a dater enough for yes. us. Like when people are no. like, "This isn't real, right?" I'm like, I "Never no. say never." Like she's Terrible done weirder. Judgment. Yeah, super weird. This is the Achilles heel. Always, it's like, it's like Ariana dating the SpongeBob guy. You know, it's like fuck. Like Pete Davidson is definitely in the arena. Why not it, like a tennis player? Or like, even just like, if she could date some like boring business person. Like, yeah. I, I, just something a little bit more distinguished. Yeah. Travis, Travis Kelsey is a clown. He had a dating show. Like, yeah. It's tough. It's tough. Anyway. Yeah. I'm that. releasing this all. This is going to be a bonus episode. This is fine. I mean, it's true. It it is worthy of discussion. I, but like, who is the? Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking of like the Evan Spiegel who married what's her name and they kept babies and it's great. Uh, oh my god, who did he marry? Miranda Kerr. Yes, Kerr? yes, yeah. yes, Miranda Kerr. Yes, wasn't uh, he super problematic? Yeah. <laughs> who isn't? <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, but like Taylor. Ending up uh, like in some, yeah, at zero bond with Elon Musk is not off the table. Oh my God. Take it off the table right now. No, she's not that stupid. Well, how's that that much different than Travis Kelsey? It's extremely different. How? <laughs> he's he's a national security threat. Wait, what? Both of you got so hyped over that that you spoke <laughs> I said he's that. a national security threat. And I said one is attractive and one is not. But he could like, he could turn off all the internet around her so that she could never be tracked. That would be like his love letter to her. Yeah, but that's like kidnap. That's like bribery or or extortion. Or oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Sure. I, yes, I agree with you that Taylor Swift could get kidnapped by Elon Musk. I don't know. I Maybe do she's think a rando. Yeah. Well, I no, she's not capable of a rando. I mean, it would have to be somebody who like. 
operates the forklift in the warehouse where she stores 10 million vinyl records. <laughs> but it, it otherwise, it is the very next most logical play for her is Meathead American Athlete. It really is. What about Meathead European Athlete? I mean, I just wonder if she's tiring of the Brits after all this bullshit. I just wonder if she only likes the Brits. And that's an ergo the bullshit. In which case it's some soccer player for... Or like for, like Formula One, mayhap. Yeah, right, right. I don't know, some Italian like Formula One driver. Yeah, that's possible. But I'm like, I'm like projecting a little bit, but I would like that for her. Well, I would like it for her. Here's what I'd say. It would work a lot better with her schedule because she's going to be over in Europe all next summer. And so it does seem maybe, you know, who she's going to start dating is this is Mbappe, the Parisian <laughs> soccer player, Kylian Mbappe. Okay. He's 24 years old. Yeah. Fuck yeah, he is. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean, what all we're no. doing, all we're trying to do now is combine DNA and make some super kids. Okay. So give me Killian Mbappe and Taylor for three years. Give me two kids. Then she can go, you know, whatever. She's not a racehorse. Neither of them are racehorses, but like I think the odds of her being able to sustain a healthy, functioning relationship for a long period of time are lower than we all want to admit. Based on Wait, what we've then seen. she should just then she should just gallivant around Europe and be single, which does not involve dating Travis Kelsey. Yeah, she should date the European Travis Kelsey, whoever that is, some fucking rugby player from Wales with like cauliflower that is, that ears. That is who the European Travis Kelsey is, by the way. Yeah, yeah, with cauliflower fucking ears who weighs like 275 pounds, who he can just absolutely destroy beers and who, you know, she can like take gummies with uh, on the weekdays when she's in her London flat because it's the off season for the rug of uggas. <laughs> That's beautiful. All right. We've, we've found one we can all agree on, I think. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.